You are listening to Destination Church Belfast weekly podcast. You can find us at www.destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. Happy listening. We are now on message six of the current message series, and we're looking at the parables of Jesus. So where we've been, just, well, I'm not going to tell you a lot of where we've been so far. The key bit about this is really looking into the word parable. You've got para, meaning parallel, alongside. You've got bowl, which means throwing down. And basically, as Dallas Willard said, you set something down by something else to explain what it is. So I don't know about you, but I'm thinking about different parables that I hear lots now, as in, goodness, that really works, putting something down by something else to explain something simply that is inherently complex. So, where are we? Parables uncover what is secret and hidden, and there are lenses through which you and I can focus and clearly see the truth, John 8, 32, and there are invitations to live life in the Spirit, to live life deeply and fully. Do you ever get those moments where you're trying to understand a circumstance and then somebody will just say some, some statement? Remember uh, Mark Gordon, who was a member here for uh, several years, he would have talked about shovel and fog. It's as difficult as shovel and fog. And I was going, my goodness, that's amazing. His other one was uh, a blind man on a galloping horse could see that. I just thought, that's genius. And for anybody who uses those phrases often, they're like, you never heard that before? You never heard that before? So they're very, very helpful. And Jesus spoke in parables to really uncover where we're at. And if you're dealing with somebody who's hard-hearted, coming at them straight with the facts doesn't work. But coming at, as um, the, the prophet did to, to King David, coming through a story and a parable really does get in there and gets under the protection of the self-interest. So thank you to Aaron, who's not here this week, but still thank you to him for taking the message last week about the good soil. We had fun turning that one over in small group. He gave us the contextual background into which uh, Jesus was speaking the parable, which I find immensely helpful. You could tell by the devotional, if you read it, which was about the paths were created as the farmers walked up and down the fields, and that's how they accessed it, and the ground had become compacted because of the traffic that was going on top of it. And he looked at the rocky, uh, the rocky soil as well and said that there were three main major rocks, unbelief, unconfessed sin and forgiveness and he just very casually uh, prophesied to us that if we work to shatter the rocks we'd have an abundance of pebbles to kill the giants in the land my goodness I just feel like we should pause for a minute if you do the work that is required to shatter the big rocks in your life then they're going to break into little pieces that the Lord will instruct you to use to take down further enemies you think about the areas you have overcome. When you find a new something to overcome, do you not get a bit of wisdom from how you did it the last time? Today we're looking at the uh, asking, seeking, and knocking. And the context of this one is Jesus was teaching on prayer. And he throws down this parable alongside prayer to teach us how, how we might learn to pray. So as I'm, you all right there, Isaac? As I'm reading this out, I want you to consider how you pray and why you pray the way you pray, okay? So as I read it out, consider how you pray and why you pray that way. And let this parable just illuminate what Jesus is calling us to. 
This is from Luke 11, 5 to 10, if you want to read along with me. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Wouldn't go too well with Reggie next door. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus said, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, Yet, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It's a really familiar one, isn't it? So now, this is rhetorical and I'm going to let it dangle for a moment. Do you pray like that? And if not, why not? And again, it's not about condemnation. It's about conviction. Do we have the idea that it's a bit like uh, when the queen was lying in state and people wanted to pay their respects and it's a quiet, which is appropriate, but do you read him as a father or a king like that? So let's look at the three things, ask, seek, and knock. So ask is a request that comes from relationship. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So a relationship that has what we need and where we feel permission to ask. So if I had abundance of money, and uh, you know that I had said to you before, I'm here to help you. That's not the case. Just let me articulate that. It's not the case. But if that was the case and I'd said to you, listen, I have more than enough and I want to help you, then you would know that you could come and ask me. Yes? Yes? Not too sure about that? Now, what might stop you is you're not going to do that. You've not been brought up that way. I've been taught to, to make, figure it out myself. But if I've made the offer and it's a genuine offer, then you know that there's permission in that relationship to ask for something. And I want to, to put it out to you, you'll never ever begin this process with faith if you do not believe that you're a son or a daughter of the king and have the right to ask. Who are you to be asking? And who are you asking? Now that question, who are you to quiz me, is quite an accusatory and it's not very kind and it's largely very negative. I'm not saying it in that way. I'm asking you, who are you to be asking? And who are you asking of? Galatians 3.26 says, for you're all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So this is all about wholeness and about relationship. Do you believe God has what you need and that he will give it to you? Let that one dangle for a minute too. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And Psalm 27, 13 to 14, a personal uh, favorite. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. It's a relationship 
and we must ask. So if he is who he says he is and has limitless resources and you're not asking, then you've got to ask yourself the question, why am I not asking? And whatever's in your way, I suggest you remove it. So the second thing then is seek. And seek is a process that comes from the desire to find something that you've lost or something that you need or want to find. And Jesus said, seekers find. And those who don't seek, don't find. That's too simple, isn't it? So if you're seeking, Jesus says, you're going to find. And he tells us repeatedly, I tell you the truth. 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 So if you seek, you find. And if you don't seek, you won't find. Um, I, had a, I used to work with a guy, uh, Barry, a dec- a dec- about a decade ago now, a great guy. But he used to wear a t-shirt that said, I found Jesus. He was hiding under the sofa. I thought that was brilliant. No, too irreligious for you. But... If you're looking for him, you will find him. Isaiah 45, 15, truly you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, Savior. Throw that one into the mix. So we're called to seek for him and God is purposely hiding himself. When you are seeking something, you believe that there is something worth finding. So do you believe that there is something or someone worth finding? And one of the most effective, when you think about it, this is genius, but one of the most effective means that the enemy could ever use to dissuade you from asking, seeking, and knocking is by convincing you that there's no hope, there's no point, there will never be any change, there cannot be change, and this is as good as it gets. It's like the enemy doesn't really have to be concerned about your future if he convinces you that you don't have one. It's all very intelligent and insidious and just gentle. It's a bit like, you know, if the enemy showed up, he's not going to show up and say, hello, welcome, I'm the devil. I'm here to rip and kill you and steal everything from you. He's going to come up and go, how are you doing? It's really good to meet you. It's lovely to see you here. I love it when you're here. And in the context of loveliness and seeming kindness, just slip something a little bit insidious in and walk away and go, great to see you. If you need anything, come and ask me. God says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know, Jeremiah 33, 3. So he knows it all. We have to recognize that we don't. And we have to recognize that if we want to know more or find what we're being called to find, then we've got to seek hard after him. So if you don't give up seeking, you will find. So don't ever give up. And then knocking. So knocking is an activity, right? Is it a gentle activity? Are you a gentle knocker? Do you just, are you one of those? What do you do when you come to somebody's house? Like at nighttime, if Claire's forgotten to take the, the key out of the door, it's with fear and trepidation that I knock hard because you know everybody's asleep and you're thinking, please answer your phone, please answer your phone. And then you're thinking if she's in the living room, I could take the key and just tap it gently on the key. But if you really want in somewhere and you want to be heard, it's a good solid knock. Like it's a it's good bang, bang, bang. Have we got any confident knockers in the house today? No? All gentle? Tap, tap, taps? Hoping that the doorbell rings and even that pressing the doorbell, you're thinking, jeepers, this could be loud. What if I offend them and won't let me in? 
So it's an almost violent activity that seeks to gain entry from one place to another. So it's a knock is always requesting that we're moving from where we are to somewhere else. Yes? So if you want to move, you're going to have to knock something to request that the door opens. It's a door that has to be open for you, but you've got to request access. And the dictionary defines it as striking a surface noisily to attract attention, <laughs> especially when waiting to be let in through a door. Can't think any other places that you would really be striking noisily to attract attention unless, I don't know, do you do that? Do you, teachers? Notice in, in our school they hold up their hands now. Very non-offensive way of doing it and it actually works. So the part of the process requires us to believe that we have the right to move or enter somewhere else. So if you're knocking in the spirit, you're asking to move through a doorway, through a place of transition from where you are to where you could be. You're requesting access. And the Amplified Bible states that you knock and keep on knocking. So where the likes of the NIV robs us is, we can go, well, I asked and he didn't answer me. Whereas God seems to like persistence. So Jesus said, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me some food. And he doesn't offer it to you. Um, and he says, the door's already locked. My children and I are in bed and I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus says, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And Jesus said at the end of that, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Are we all right there? Okay. Isaac was forever choked. You still do choke sometimes, don't you, Amor? So the context, I don't know whether you knew this, but the context that Jesus was speaking this into was the friend would have likely lived in a one-room house, which meant that the, the floor was probably littered with sleeping children. So in order to get the bread, he'd have to have awoken the entire household, which would probably have disturbed the entire neighborhood. So rather than it being a, the guy just can't be bothered getting up, it's maybe a bit bigger and more complex than we imagine it to be. But the guy had no shame. Now we say that in quite a negative way, don't we? Oh, they've no shame. Oh, she's no shame. They've no shame. Well, let's reframe that a little bit. Because of his shamelessness, he was without shame and he persisted on knocking of the door on the door which held his provision. Because of his shamelessness, he had nothing left to lose. He was already desperate. Are we all not desperate for bread that we do not possess? Are you desperate? Have you had times in your life when you're desperate? Now here's a, a little side that hopefully helps. So I've learned in pastoral ministry, this may discourage you or encourage, I don't know, that I do not know what you need nor have what you need. I don't have it. So I'm not coming to meet you uh, having researched, having uh, thought it all through, having tried to extract from you why you're wanting to meet with me. I may ask if I'm thinking, is this is this a difficult conversation that we need to be prepared for? And sometimes people go, no, no, it's grand. And if they're lying, then you find that out later on. 
but I've discovered that the one who is in me has everything that you need. And if you recognize that I'm called to pastor and you're looking to access that, then you're going to extract it from me. Does that make sense? So I don't have this. But if you knock on the door, you'll find that it's there. I would ask for a show of hands, but it could go horribly wrong. But you've told me that it has been helpful. So let's go with that. And I'll just declare that from the front. But I don't have what you need, but I know the one who has. And he's faithful every time. So it's simple spiritual mathematics. If I'm called to pastor, I'm going to be equipped to pastor. And I'm equipped to pastor those who see the calling on my life and that extract it from me. And I let it go, flows through me, but I'm not the originator of it. And it takes the pressure off. And it's a good experience. I really enjoy it. Okay. The dictionary defines shame as a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. And it defines audacity as a willingness to take bold risks. Remember the message about no risk, no reward. And Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you believe that God has everything that you need, he is calling you to ask for it, then why wouldn't you? And I think one of the main reasons is because there are painful feelings of or humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. I can't do this. I'm not worth enough. How could I approach him and why would he give it to me? Shame will stop you from knocking with persistence on the door of your destiny. And I really hope that there are those here going, oh my goodness, I actually stopped going after that thing that I was called to. Go to the cross, remember that your sins are forgiven and you are free forever to be who you were created to be. There's no shame unless you tolerate it and believe it. There is shame in unconfessed sin, but the simple way to deal with that is, God, I'm really sorry and I don't want to get on like that. Thank you that you forgive me. And we walk on as new creations. Now, if you don't believe that, what is the point? You are a new creation without spot or blemish. And when you approach God, he does not see your stuff. He sees you. Shameless audacity is a result of the death of self-interest and the death of keeping up appearances and we stop protecting ourselves by allowing others to see our brokenness and our needs. It was one of the joys about small group. We were all wonderfully transparent. Can we look for a moment at the woman with the issue of blood? I think she, this is a really relevant story as to what we're talking about. So this is Luke 8, 43 to 48 if you want to follow along. So a woman who had suffered from a hemorrhage for 12 years and had spent all her money on, on doctors and couldn't be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his outer robe and immediately her bleeding stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? While they all were denying it, Peter and those who were with them said, Master, the people are crowding and pushing against you, which you think about in that context. I mean, he's probably being buffeted about by all of these people making requests and demands and touching him. And Jesus says, who touched me? And Peter's going, what do you mean? About 43 people, Jesus. 
But Jesus said, someone did touch me because I was aware that power to heal has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she'd not escaped, notice she came up trembling. Oh my goodness. She came up trembling and fell down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she touched him. Must have been humiliating. And how she'd been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith, and the Amplified expands, your personal trust and confidence in me has made you well. Go in peace, untroubled, undisturbed, and being well. She had nothing. She had tried everything and nothing had worked. She couldn't be healed by anyone. And in her desperation, in her shameless audacity, she went and touched him and touched God in her hiddenness. I don't think any of us really want to get to that point in our lives. And yet often things don't change until we do. You got that t-shirt? Jewish law declared her to be ceremonially unclean due to her bleeding issue. So that meant she couldn't go to the temple for any uh, services or ceremonies. And according to the law, anything or anyone she touched became unclean as well. So the fact that she was in the crowd pressing around Jesus means that each person who bumped into her would have become unclean too, including Jesus. But after 12 years of suffering, she was obviously desperate for a miracle. So Jesus, from her hiddenness, catapulted her out of the shadows and into the light and called her daughter. And that's actually a Hebraic word. So she would have understood clearly that he wasn't just saying, nice to see you, love. She was using God's language to say, you're mine. I find that very moving. She would have understood clearly that that was the language of Scripture. Her shameless, audacious act healed her body. Now Jesus was healing the rest of her. She got a hold of him, and now he was getting a hold of her. Now, Isaac or Anna, either one of you, you want to come up? Do you want to come up, Isaac? Isaac's, he's coming. So I want you to, to put your hand out to shake my hand. This is, this is what Jesus did, right? Come here, come here, come here. It's going to be okay. I'm so sorry. Don't, don't make noises, make good noises. They could be weeping noises. She's like, <laughs> But that's nice. But do you get it? She just came up going, heal me. I'm not worth this. I'm unclean. I've got this wrong. I, you know, I'm just going to touch him in hiddenness. And she, he grabbed her, just held her and said, you are mine. And he brought emotional healing, mental healing, and physical healing. And he wasn't the originator. It wasn't a service that we have that uh, you wait for the person to call you out and go, today I see that the Lord wants to heal you today. Though that does happen. She came up by her faith and said, he can heal me and had faith and extracted it from him and took it from him and then he took hold of her. She wanted to touch him and he wanted to embrace her. It isn't that what she was really desperate for. Acceptance, connection, relationship, interaction. All three are activities that we must complete. Ask, seek, and knock. Could I get the worship guys up, please? 
and God is the one who helps us and allows us to find. But you and I, we have to be active. So I want to ask you to consider, so what do you do with this this morning? If your prayer life looks like just gentle requests, well, can it get more violent than that? Can it get that you're screaming at him in the car? Maybe you've got there already. But why would you stop? You are a son and a daughter of God, and you have every right to approach the throne because he has exactly what you need. So the main thing I want you to, to slap you silly with this morning is you are his child, and therefore you can be you are shameless if you're his child. And you can be audacious and request and request and knock and knock and seek and seek until you find what God wants to give you. Can I ask you and invite you to stand with me? Have we any tissues, anyone? No? Okay. So there's always some questions to help you to respond. So do you know that there is shame that is holding you back? And maybe it's so just a part of you that you just, you just have always thought that way. And maybe in this moment you think, I wonder, is there some shame holding me back? Secondly, are you desperate and coming to realize that God is the only one who can heal you? Or you know that you, get, you need to get to a place of desperation? And then finally, do you want to have the confidence you should have as a child of God to boldly approach the King? You have been listening to Destination Church Belfast weekly podcast. Remember to check us out at www.destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk and have a great week.